0: Hey, 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 you guys are listening to Luna Stream. I'm your host, Toyo Nomura. Our shared goal for this podcast is to create a public forum for us, 2nd Gen, to discuss our opinions, form stimulating conversations about our movement, and to bring our ideas to the forefront of the wider conversation. On this week's episode, Just tour and I will be speaking to Matthew Hewish, a dear brother from Beyond the Pond. We had the chance to have a lovely conversation with him about how he is the grandfather of all Moony podcasts.
1: They're just for ourselves. They have limited impact, but...
0: How he's managing his huge family.
1: Answering that question is to say how intentional my wife and I, uh, my wife and I are about um, having a big family and, and uh, raising that family,
0: and a bit of theological discussion as well.
1: Doubt is an incredibly important aspect of faith.
0: Once again, you'll be hearing some ajus sprinkled throughout the conversation in an attempt to censor the profanity. It sounds something like this: ajus. So, if you hear some random ajus throughout the conversation, now you know why. And without further ado, onto the program. Hello everyone, you're listening to LunaStream. I'm your host, Toya Nomura. I'm joined by my co-host, Tora Oda and Justin Darty today. Tora, um, how you been?
2: Yeah, my name is Tora. live in Las Vegas, 24, uh, youth pastor here, and I've uh, been doing pretty well. been Sweet. waiting for this recording.
0: <laughs> and uh, hey, Justin, it's been a while. How are you? Yeah, it's good to be
2: back, man. It's nice. I'm um, doing good. Justin Daugherty here, just in case any uh, any new listeners don't know who I am. <laughs> Listen to an old episode, you'll, you'll get the scoop. Sweet. And we have a very
0: special guest with us today. His name is Matthew Hewish. He is currently the Assistant National Leader of the UK, has a Master's in Pastoral Theology, and was one of my favorite lecturers on STF. Welcome to the show, Matthew.
1: Thank you for inviting me. Um, I, I, I'm keenly aware of the fact that we have four blokes talking with each other and uh, <laughs> it might be it might be tricky to figure out who's who but I'm the fella with the British accent so um, yeah <laughs> well, well said not. well said um, so could
0: you tell us a little bit about yourself Matthew
1: yeah so um, my wife and I we re- received the blessing 2004 so uh, over 16 years of marriage together we've got eight children four girls four boys uh, my son he's 15 he's taller than me by a few inches wow and I'm short <laughs> um our youngest is four months old so right now uh not much sleep uh, a lot of stress mm. uh, and it's pretty much been like that for the last 15 and a half years <laughs> that's crazy uh, it is crazy my wife and i definitely are crazy but we wouldn't do it any other way if we could go back and do it <laughs> all again we would do it exactly the same
0: wow amazing and um from my understanding you're also a second gen correct
1: that's right. Uh, my my uh, father's British. My mother's Polish. She was uh, virtually the first person to join in Poland back in the day when it was still very communist. Uh, came over to the UK. Um, uh, I grew up in the UK. Um, uh, lived lived here my whole life and uh, did SDF for a couple of years. Um, and uh, basically, ever since ever since then, I've I've always been very involved in ministry shall we call it um, youth ministry carp mm, um, mm. you know involvement with STF stuff like that and um, I've been an assistant pastor been a pastor for a while uh, actually we were asked to become pastor couple again uh, just a year ago wow and um, true mother's been looking for for people to be vice presidents of sub regions in all around the whole world in mm-hmm, fact so mm-hmm. my wife and I have been asked to be the vice presidents for the North Europe subregion Um yeah, so a lot of hats to juggle, probably not the healthiest right, thing to right.
0: do. It's a lot of responsibility on your plate, potentially. Yeah, definitely. Yes, and um, so for people who don't know, uh, Matthew and a couple of his co-hosts started a podcast. I think it's probably the original like Mooney podcast called The Orange Songbook. <laughs> I really liked it because for anybody new to our movement or was interested, they could just pick one of the episodes up, learn more about us, and, and like kind of get, get an insight to what we are and what we do. So I think it was really nice. But I feel like it was missing It was missing that spice. It was missing that juice a little bit.
1: I mean, The Orange Songbook, I, it's, it's a project I'm very proud of, uh, together with Ollie and Toby. Right, right. Um, and we do have intentions to to uh, record more episodes uh, we we yes. are painfully aware that there's been a long hiatus a long <laughs> gap between the yeah. last episode and, and until now um and we do actually have uh, uh an episode planned script i mean not scripted but we've got the show notes ready for it we just need to to set a date when we can actually start recording so now that i've said it we gotta do it um yes yeah. yeah, speak it into existence exactly uh, god said and it became
0: so what was kind of like um the intention behind it or how did it start like uh like the podcast
1: uh, it started because we uh, were part of a, a young men small group um in my house i think it was every wednesday night um i invited a few fellas from our local community mostly second gen but some young first gen brothers as well uh to to do hundakei basically with each other, uh, mm. reflect on what we were reading, and then usually play, play poker afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was a, a big feature, at least for me. And we had great conversations. You know, sometimes the conversations went for such a long time, we actually never got around to playing poker, whatever the game was that we had intended to play. Oh, really? We, we found that the conversations were so exciting. And so Toby and Ollie, I think they were the ones who between the two of them said wouldn't it be cool if we actually recorded these conversations because <laughs> you know, if they're just for ourselves they have limited impact but by sharing these conversations we may mm. may have a, a, mm. an audience who might be interested so i got involved and it literally started in toby's wardrobe wow because we found that was the best place uh, for soundproofing <laughs> a room where we could be fairly undisturbed the only the only instances where soundproofing became an issue was do you have in america ice cream trucks yeah yeah yeah, we do yeah it's pretty common and they play these annoyingly loud jingles to grab your attention yeah yeah right so where where toby was living at that time there was one of these ice cream trucks and it would occasionally drive past and we'd obviously have to stop speaking during that and and go back a few (laughs) seconds and repeat what we had said but apart from that all the clothes you know filling this wardrobe and us sitting very cramped but you know on the floor together we we managed to Mm. find that that was that was the best location for recording
2: very intimate y'all recorded onto the
1: same microphone we had a zoom uh zoom h6 i think it was uh we all recorded onto the same device that's right that's how we started at least and then i think later on Later on, we we started recording onto separate devices, separate laptops, and then uh, did some editing to to put it together.
0: Right, yeah. I noticed oh.
1: the, the sharp quality increase from the first and last episodes.
2: <laughs> I wish. I wish that's how we started, man. <laughs> <laughs> we started yeah. on Zoom because we're all so far away from each other. Tours mm. on the other side of the country in Vegas, and we're over here in uh, mean. <laughs> Bridgeport, toys, and in, in uh, North Virginia. Right, it's and
0: a, that's a good six, seven hours drive.
2: Yeah, so we're we're all so far away from each other that it's just like recording an episode together would have to be like a one-time thing that we do like once a year. We could call it like uh, Luna, Luna. What do, what do you call LunaCon? Luna Live, <laughs> LunaCon, and like Luna Live. People come. <laughs> I like the name, by the way. It's it's a really clever name. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, yeah, yeah, did you
0: guys, what kind of insights did you guys gain from uh, having these podcasts though, or in these episodes published?
2: Or like, what, what did you actually talk about? Because I'm actually kind of a little bit lost
0: here.
1: <laughs> I think one of the things that we like to do was to tackle issues that we felt were not talked about openly in the church community. Um, things which perhaps were taboo or maybe a little bit sensitive, especially for, the, let's, let's say, the leadership to discuss. Um, I was a pastor at that time, um, and I think towards the end of our our first season, um, I became something. What was it? The national leader, maybe? <laughs> I got promoted, I think. And and, and wow, the, that that the the uh, sensitivities were not lost on us. That you know, would I be as free to speak? Uh, in that role, where perhaps you know what I said publicly might be under more scrutiny or whatever, I, I didn't feel the need to change the way I, I spoke so much. Um, and so we continued to to you know record honest, candid uh, conversations. Occasionally we would edit out some things that we felt maybe we all agreed we we wouldn't feel comfortable putting certain things um, out in public. but usually that that wasn't to do with theological controversies. it was us just being a little bit harsh uh, <laughs> being yeah. a bit rude yeah. perhaps. Um, <laughs> I think our favorite episode was one that we recorded in the Heaven G Burger in 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 where we did a, a review of the burgers, I can't remember if we actually oh. shared that one. <laughs> yeah. I think what what we enjoyed doing was to, you know, be real uh, about things, mm, mm. and, you know, I think we all came with different perspectives, and we didn't always agree with one another. But because we shared this friendship that had been cultivated over over time, I mean, especially Toby and Ollie, they grew up together, right? Um, okay. And I, I came along, and, and you know, we we'd been meeting each other every week for for a couple of years, and so on that foundation of understanding each other, uh, right. we could you know trust the fact that whatever we were sharing was just honest and genuine. Uh, we weren't <laughs> we weren't putting it on. Mm. Well, I I
0: must thank you uh, a lot. I think you paved the way for others to do the same, like us. So I really appreciate you guys laying the groundwork.
1: <laughs> well, I'm really inspired. I, I think that was one of our hopes that if we were able to do something that inspired others to do the same, that, that would be a, right. a, a wonderful thing to see. So right. good on, good on you.
0: <laughs> um, did you guys have any regrets about the, uh, the whole passion project in general, or was... I, I think
1: the one big regret is not recording more episodes <laughs> 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 that we told everybody, look, season two is coming. I think oh it was right, two right. Or three years ago. <laughs> it was three. It's three. Oh, that's the big, regret hey, man, I the think. biggest I mean, hype
2: train ever. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's still going. <laughs> yeah. What happened? I mean, right. a lot a lot of things happened. I, I like think... Half-Life 2. Or no, Half-Life 3?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Half-Life Alex, yeah. Biggest hype train.
1: <sighs> well, it's technically not Half-Life
2: 3. It's Half-Alex.
1: <laughs> For those right. who don't know Half-Life, you're looking at the video game, right? Yeah.
0: Right. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Half-Life 2 came out in like what, 2004 or something? So it's been a while. <laughs> um. But yeah, oh, such a shame that you guys went on hiatus for such a long time. I think people are missing the content.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the reasons why that happened was because our our home group stopped. Um, uh, the reality was, uh, I, I got very busy, and uh, it meant that that our our brothers' meeting stopped happening because I couldn't host it anymore, um, and we all got busy with life um Ollie Ollie's been you know busy doing his things Toby's been busy doing his things the reality is we don't see each other um in person these days so much so we have to be more intentional about it for uh, sure we took that for granted
0: <laughs> and moving on um like you mentioned earlier in your introduction you have a family of eight kids that's huge even for um, a Brit like yourself so and even for Americans that's pretty big family so what What's it been like for you in uh, in raising the kids, and I guess developing their faith and their understanding of the world?
1: No, that's an interesting question. It's very broad. In fact, I think uh, my first way of answering that question is to say how intentional my wife and our, uh, what my wife and I are about um, having a big family and, and uh, raising that family. Um, the day we got blessed, you know, we had the conversation about right, how many kids do we want to have, and, and we both felt that we, we wanted to, to aim for this number in particular this number eight we felt was, was a number that we wanted to aim for we've always taken it one at a time you know the, for sure for sure uh, unless you're blessed with twins or triplets or multiple births you do take it one at a time and so we've always been very uh honest with ourselves about um how about how we evaluate um our circumstances uh, with each child and i'll be honest with you that, that there were occasions where we thought maybe we would have to Stopped earlier than, than than we did, but uh, because of um, breakthroughs in, in health recovery uh, and, and other circumstances, we we felt inspired to, to keep working at this project, and, and here we are uh, still alive, <laughs> still fairly safe. Wow! Sane. wow. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, we we home educate our children. Um, we we are very again. We're trying to be as intentional as possible about. Okay. Uh, raising them both in 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 spirit and in truth you know mm-hmm. um i think we we wanted to make sure that they had a good emotional education mm-hmm. uh, upon the foundation of which there would then be a strong intellectual uh education uh, and then give them the opportunity to explore their interests and, and develop their genius their expertise in whatever right. areas that they they have capability
0: mm, that's pretty solid i think it's um A very I would say like a tactical approach to to parenting
1: (laughs) I mean you know we're not we're not anti-school I'm not anti-school I I I was blessed to go to some great schools and I'm very grateful to my parents for sending me to those schools you know as a kid Mm -hmm. you have virtually no choice in the matter your your parents usually uh, have the, the the biggest say in in where you live and which schools you go to so I am grateful for for the experience that I had but at the time where we were living and, and also seeing the way that education is going these days, um, right. I, think, I think a lot of people are concerned about the kind of indoctrination which is taking place um, in terms of philosophy, politics, all these kinds of things. And, and what concerns me especially is that kids are not being taught how to think, but being, uh, they're being taught what to think. And mm. I think it's important to be introduced to many different perspectives but ultimately to, to learn critical thinking, to be able to look at something and then be able to reflect on it from a, a number of av- angles uh, and, and, and uh, yeah, critique it. Right, right. What do, you, what do you guys think, Tori, Justin?
2: Yeah, I just think that the environment has become really, uh, I believe the word is polarized. <laughs> Everything is, is two-sided now. There's no, like, well that's that's a train of thought it's like there's two trains of thought there's this one and there's that one which one are you and both sides think that the other side is evil you know they both think the other side is ignorant and undereducated and and wrong and evil you know so there's like uh the vaccination thing if you believe in vaccinations you're evil if you don't you're evil <laughs> you know and it's there's really no in between like oh, well, I think some vaccinations are good and others, it's like, no, you either get every single vaccine or you get none at all. And I I feel like when I was younger that just wasn't the case. So the stakes weren't as high. You know, um, it wasn't is the world round or is it flat? It's like
1: well, the world was just round at the time, so <laughs> there
2: wasn't
1: <laughs> huge, two trains what of thought. What changed? Why, why was it different when we were younger compared <sighs> to now?
0: I'm pretty sure it's just social media. A- any village idiot can express their opinions and, you know, they all rally around each other. I think that's the biggest thing.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know. I think I think the internet has a large play in it because, yeah, like Toya said, everyone, anyone who wants to voice their opinion and make it sound important can just start a podcast and uh, call it lunastream and then you know <laughs> and start a cult around it yeah <laughs> right, right start a group and and people are going to listen and share and you know um yeah so i think there's a lot more echo chambers than there used to be um and i think uh, there's labels for things now that where there just wasn't before and so it was hard to know like the person you're talking to are they they share my opinions, you know? Um, so now it's so easy to know because the topics are so, you know, good bad kind of kind of thought yeah. pattern. And yeah. It's so easy to know. So everyone chooses sides um, pretty early on. I feel like so. I feel like in schools, it's really difficult because your teachers are just regular people, and they're gonna have, they're gonna probably have one of these perspectives. Uh, or feel that they have to and then it's like ah okay what am I going to teach and then they're they're just going to teach their perspective because everyone who has that perspective whatever it is whether it you know be in the United States like democratic or or republican whatever which either one it is they're going to think that that's the right the holy the just one and so they feel like oh it's my responsibility to pass this on and so I think that's why schools can be really difficult um a place these days because true. you have no idea and e- even like church schools ch- schools that are like primarily church t- members as teachers as like the, the catholic schools. no i mean like unification church schools oh <laughs> yeah um even in those places you'll walk in expecting to hear you know something and hear something very surprising <laughs> Yo, really? You believe that? And and that's what you're teaching these young children? Wow.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well
2: then. So, so I guess homeschool is way to go, man. That's all I got to say.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, but there's also don't you think like drawbacks to homeschool, Justin? Because I I remember you were saying from your experience that like when you went to public school, it was such a what was it like a culture shock, right? And I guess, well, my My
2: public school
1: sucked. That's what it was. (laughs) It was the worst. It was like prison. And I hated every second of it. Justin, you you were home educated and then you went into school.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I was homeschooled until sixth grade. Then I went to school. I was in the same public school for three years, begging my parents every day to be let out of this literal prison. Um, And it wasn't until my mom came to pick me up one day because I was faking injury uh, because I just wanted to get out of school. And she saw a kid uh, handcuffed to a bench outside the school covered in blood. And she was like, w- what is that? I'm like, oh, that's just daily business. Like I told you, this school is terrible. And she's like, I thought you were exaggerating. She pulled me out the same day. And I was like, no. Yeah. And, and what happened is that kid had insulted one of the police officers on staff. And he was like, oh, I'll show you. And he, he like beat him. Wow. Severely beat him. So it was just like, I hated that school. It was a terrible school. It wasn't like oh, school was hard for me. Like that school has like a 1.2 star rating. It is like the worst school (laughs) in our district.
1: By comparison, I went to the top comprehensive. (laughs) So That's like, um, you know, we we have grammar schools. We've got private schools, which we call, you know, what we call public schools are actually private schools in the UK. Oh, wow. Um, (laughs) Because back in the day, there were no schools, right? So a public school was... Uh, anyway, uh, so I, I went to a comprehensive school, which meant that, you know, st- you didn't, students were not selected based on their ability, that, that they were supposed mm-hmm. to uh, mm-hmm. allow entry to anybody. Uh, and we were top boys uh, comprehensive in the country. Oh, wow. So I had a great time. And, and it's Catholic. So so they had a, a strong Catholic ethos. Great. I had a great experience there. But the, the sad reality is not all schools are that school. Um mm. And so and so you do have some, some pretty scary places. And, and even in, in that school, you know, I experienced things which I, I, I wished I hadn't experienced. And so, of course, one of the, the plus sides of home education is that as parents, we can be a far more selective about what, what we expose our children to. But I can also right. see that if, if the parents are creating their own little prison system, <laughs> you're just <laughs> recreating the hell, mm, but in a different mm, environment. Mm,
2: that's possible to yeah.
1: So, I, I guess what I'm really
0: curious about is, like, how do you draw, like, distinctions between, like, our world, right? The world of the Unification Church and, like, you know, the outside world and how to, I guess, manage the, those
1: interactions? That's I mean, already there, this, the, the distinction between these two worlds is something I, I really want to avoid. There's okay. just one world, one reality. <laughs> there are different ways of looking at it, certainly. Mm-hmm. But... Um, you know i i i did my undergraduate studies in biochemistry i'm a scientist and yet i did my masters in pastoral theology i i'm religious i'm a religious freak i'm i i've no shame in in proudly saying so mm-hmm. and, and and those two things are not in competition with each other they're they're both part of the, the same universe that we exist in just uh, different parts of it and and the the world is the world and the unificationist community is part of the world uh, Mm. in many respects um i think i I I suppose that the question comes in when you have competing worldviews so if you have a a, a militantly secular perspective which is anti-god anti-faith anti-spirituality and that competes with yeah a a religious worldview then there's a tension there which needs to be tackled
0: Mm, no because I guess it was just like, you know, by the time they're eighteen or whatever, right, and they decide to go to university or something, and I, I just wonder like if they'd experienced the same culture shock as Justin would have, or do you think they'd be able to navigate successfully and be able to, you know, stay true to themselves because they and feel their their value based on what they believe instead of the value their value shifting because of what their environment is is.
1: Well, with respect to my children, we're still in the middle of that experiment. For so. sure. <laughs> we'll have to wait 10 or 20 years to see the results. Right. But, you know, just looking at generally, uh, especially American Christian families, because there's a lot of data, mm-hmm. I, I think our unificationist community is still very small, whereas the, the, the American Christian population is incredibly large. I, I, I think it's uh, uh, more than 80% of of christian college kids okay. end up losing their faith after going oh, to college wow. yep so yep. It, it's not a phenomenon which is unique to our own faith community it's a general crisis amongst all faith communities whereby mm-hmm. you know the kids are indoctrinated in a faith right. in a tradition which mm-hmm. is natural you know parents and families and communities want to raise their kids within uh, specific uh, uh boundaries and then when the boundaries are gone what safeguards are in place <laughs> if, if the kids haven't really owned it, if it's if it's not deeply internalized, or they 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 encounter and experience many different ways of living which they they never really had grappled with before, and they want to give right. it a go and they actually enjoy it, they like it, and mm-hmm. it's 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 something that they would rather embrace and reject what they grew up with.
0: Mm, I see. That is really powerful because you're ingraining like these values that they hold dear to them, and then when they you know decide to think i mean not decide to think for themselves but when they decide what they value then they'll look on these and they'll grasp those that's pretty i haven't thought about it like that
1: <laughs> i mean I, I remember having a conversation with my brother when we were both in our mid-teens and i i expressed my view which was that i don't want to believe everything that i'm told i i, I want to doubt everything i want to You know, critique everything. I want to figure things out for myself and and see Mm. whether or not these things are true. Uh, And at the time, my my brother's response was, "No, you can't do that. You should just believe." Um, (laughs) And I'm I'm the one who ended up, you know, becoming the national leader and all that (laughs) shindig. Whereas he's the one who uh, isn't in the church anymore. Um, He's still a great guy, but (laughs) just different cards in life. And you know, I think. Doubt is an incredibly important aspect of faith. That if you've never, hmm. if you've never gone on the journey of doubt, your faith is is limited. You've you've missed yeah, out yep. on part of the fun. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, it's funny. I've ex- experienced the same thing. I had, I had questions uh, in my faith all throughout, and I feel like it's a kind of when things uh, did not go well amongst the leaders in the church, or something like that, or there was some sort of Some sort of thing that for a lot of people shook their faith for me just it just didn't really have the same impact because i had i hadn't i hadn't been um just blindly following the whole time and so it wasn't a shock it was just kind of like oh that person's human so what a surprise (laughs) haha whatever let's just keep going where i remember for one of my brothers it was devastating and it was just like, oh my gosh, mm. this person's human. I I can't do this anymore. Why am I? Just, I'm just following blindly, following these humans. When you know I'm human, I don't I don't want a human right. to follow. I want someone, something greater than me. You know, so I feel like in that in that sense, being a unificationist can be a lot more difficult than being a Christian. Because <laughs> being Christian, you know, you have uh, you got Jesus, and he's uh, well, you don't ha- you don't get any live examples except for. People's uh, spiritual testimonies, which are—I I don't hear any spiritual testimonies of Jesus coming and slapping them on the head, um, or or kicking them in the stomach, or something, or splashing water in their face during K. So um, <laughs> Jesus only pretty much only gets good good reviews these days. Where in our, you know, it's not going to become a scandal where oh Jesus was embezzling money.
1: <laughs>
2: That's not going to happen these days. So right. I feel like it's a lot easier to follow, um, you know, someone who's already dead because uh, they can't make any more mistakes. <laughs> it's done already where the people right. that we're following uh, are still making their mistakes. And so it can be really difficult
1: to trust them. I mean, also part of the challenge of following a living, I mean, choose your word here, Messiah, Guru avatar whatever whatever it is that that, that you you the, the person that you want to attend or, or, or pay attention to it's it's very inconvenient uh because they 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 are iconoclasts they, they smash whatever idolatry you might yeah. have uh, and and you know the convenient thing about being a Christian is that you can create Jesus in whatever image you want to he's not around to challenge that whereas <laughs> you know the true parents I in my experience both while True Father was alive and, and now while True Mother is alive, is that whatever concepts I might have about them, they will destroy them <laughs> pretty quickly. So I've got to have a right. fairly open mind in my relationship with them. Mm.
0: Yeah. So I guess to wrap up this segment, you, so you and your wife communicated about like what you got how, how you wanted to raise your children, primarily, and just being very intentional and like choosing and strategic about... You, child rearing and child education and everything.
1: Certainly. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think my wife very much took the lead on that. She has a very powerful maternal instinct. um, And I'll I'll confess, I was not the hands-on husband and father Mm -hmm. in the early years that I am now. Mm. Uh, I'm certainly developing in that respect. I, I've, you know, I was a very gung-ho church member. <laughs> right. uh, I still am in, in many ways, of course. But I, I recognize that I, I um, neglected uh, to take care of Natasha and, and, and the mm. kids uh, in, in a way that I've, I've made a lot of efforts to correct mm-hmm. uh, since then. But so my wife, my, my point was my wife has taken the lead in in uh doing research in terms of uh, psychology research and pedagogical research wow um you know we we've approached we've approached home education uh uh, with a, a literature rich approach, we want to read a lot of real books, living books, the real lives of, of actual people. Mm-hmm. And, and we want to learn history and geography through those stories, you know, and, and that's right. something that appeals to me, because I, I, I really believe that the human species is a storytelling species. We love sure. stories. We love going to the movies. And, you know, uh, people complain about when the sermon is more than 20 minutes long. No, you'll sit (laughs) quite happily for three hours in the movie cinema. You'll pay good money to be entertained if it's entertaining, if there's a good story Mm. to hear. So as long as the story is good, our hearts are open to be transformed by those stories. And and one of my favorite story or collection of stories is the Bible. It's just the the most incredible (laughs) collection of literature, which I kind Mm. of feel like, is is lost on little children because the older you get, the more you appreciate the the significance. It, it's 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 like Shakespeare, but on another level, right, uh, right. you know, of exploration of the human condition. And I'll have to confess something here. It really annoys me how our unificationist canon is is not story based. Mm-hmm. Okay, we well, now we've yeah. got Mother of Peace. We've got uh, as a peace loving global citizen, but at the end of the day, they're not really stories. They are reflections mm. and mini sermons embedded within you know various <laughs> historical events which happen i really wish we had more stories uh to tell our children
0: about about like true parents certainly okay okay yeah I, yeah that I, makes sense I,
1: recently i've been um all, all the uk pastors we participated in a 40-day period of devotion in which every morning we gather together on zoom to read mother of peace together and i found uh it was profound having conversations with the other pastors, because when we would read something in the book, we would then mm-hmm. share our reflections on it. And especially many of the elder pastors, those, those mm-hmm. elder members who've been around a lot, been in other countries, they shared stories that I've never heard of, or I, okay. perhaps I've heard of before, but they they shared their very personal angle on it. Mm. And it's like the Acts of the Apostles, right? It's, it's right, real right. living stories of things mm. which actually happened, which are not written down in any book and yet mm. they have more impact in my life of faith uh than let's say reading <laughs> chon song Gyeong book 1 part 1 you know
0: <laughs> right yeah like um i think a really good example of that is uh what is it mission uh mission butterfly the the book where you have these personal stories of each of each of missionaries who went behind the iron curtain and were trying to spread uh our the divine principle and you know our education around I think yeah i feel like those kinds of books or those kinds of um compilations of stories would be very helpful and for future generations as well and I, and I see your point i see your point
1: so my wife and i we're, we're really passionate about mm. educational materials right um so we have equipped our household with a whole bunch of books <laughs> and educational materials which are largely from from uh, a Christian curriculum that that we've mm-hmm. purchased. We've, we've purchased many years' worth of materials that we're recycling with each child as as they get old enough to read them. Uh, but we really want to develop our own, uh, you know, catalogue of of Unificationist materials. You go to Korea right. and you look at the the manga style comics which are trying to teach the Divine mm-hmm. Principle, mm-hmm. and it's woefully inadequate. I actually disagree with Mm. their interpretations of the principle. They're just wrong, in my opinion, some of them. Mm. And you have some nameless committee who's creating these materials. So it's not like you can go and chase up the person who wrote it. (laughs) Where's the accountability there? I want to know who wrote this. I want to challenge them. Maybe I just (laughs) need to write my own stuff, but
0: anyway. Perhaps. And um, I guess for any young couples there that are looking to start their own family, what kind of tips do you have?
1: Whoa. Well, uh, first of all, I think it's incredibly important that you are good communicators with each other and that even though you become parents, you dedicate a lot of time to your marriage because, you know, the four position foundation where it has god, Mm -hmm. husband, wife and children vertical love of God that comes from God to the children flows through the unity between the husband and the wife. So that relationship is incredibly important to allow the the love to flow. So husband and wife really need to invest in each other. They need to take care of each other. And when you become parents, the time simply isn't there anymore. Mm. Uh, And and you find that a lot of couples really struggle in their relationships and even their their marriages break down when they have little children because all the fractures that may have been there, but you could have paid, paved over uh, papered over you know because there was time and space now that that time isn't there because you're not sleeping properly uh you got a lot of uh you know weights of concern heavily weighing down on your shoulders and, right, and so right. if, if you're not careful uh you, you can really uh, s- uh struggle to 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 rekindle the love that you have for one another i i gave a talk about this just a few nights ago in fact, and, uh i suppose one of the one of the take-home messages i, I gave uh, in that talk was the importance to love louder uh, mm. in, in in a couple relationship mm. I, I i know that might sound counterintuitive you think well you've got kids now surely you should put them first you're gonna do that anyway <laughs> you know, mothers have this incredibly powerful maternal intuition which is to sacrifice themselves for the sake of their kids and and fathers you know if they're noble uh loyal husbands and fathers will we'll do whatever it takes in order to protect their family and and pro- provide for their family but will will the husband and the wife really take care of each other i think that is crucial hmm. Well said. Well
0: said. I hope um, our listeners take it up if they're planning to have children and are blessed. <laughs> and I guess for our final topic of today, about it's going to be about you know divine principle naturally. I think a lot of people can be skeptical about it, and I think it's just really such a dense piece of material to try to cover, understand, and really get um, resonate with it. I, I say. Um. So, but like, I guess. Is it real? Like, what's the proof? You know what I mean?
1: Okay, well, I mean, let's, let's define our terms here. Okay, by, okay. By, by the way you've expressed that question, it sounds like you're specifically referring to the exposition of the divine principle. Yes. That book, which was written in English, at least, published in 1973 mm-hmm. edition and then republished in 1996. Yes, correct. Which is, which is a book, in my view, that was written primarily targeting Korean Christians in the 1950s. Mm -hmm. I'm not Korean I'm kind of a Christian I'm a Catholic honestly speaking Right. Um, and I'm not living in the 1950s so as (laughs) as the target audience for that book I don't fit and most of Mm -hmm. the world doesn't fit in fact it's true
2: (laughs) so much knowledge
1: (laughs) I didn't know any of that yeah but there's truth in in the, the divine principle. And, and within the <laughs> preface of the exposition of the divine principle, it, it, it says so. It says, look, uh, this is not all religious scriptures, in fact, are not the truth. They are simply textbooks teaching the truth. And the truth is something which is universal and eternal. Uh, I believe that the universe embodies principles endowed by a heavenly creator, which have been there for 20,000 years of of you know mm. uh, of our, our, beyond our human existence that these principles have been there for billions of years and we are simply discovering them and articulating them using the models and language available to us and so what i find in the exposition of the divine principle is an attempt to primarily draw on the biblical tradition as mm-hmm. well as some uh, confucian and far eastern mm-hmm. traditions as well to explain these universal principles that exist okay and when you are able to unlock the stories because you do need to know the Bible, you know, part two of the divine principle is just this epic journey through <laughs> biblical stories, mm, through the mm. lens of the principles of restoration. Mm-hmm. And, and and again, the, the purpose of th- those chapters is primarily to convince you that Christ has returned and he's here in Korea. And frankly speaking, most people don't care. Yeah, right. Most people are not waiting for Jesus to return. Because most people in the world are not Christian. Okay, the largest religious group is Christian, but the vast majority of people in the world are not Christian. Mm -hmm. And and especially in North America or in Western Europe, you know, you you tell people that the Lord has come and he's in Korea. So what? You know, it's (laughs) how is that going to make my life better? What's it going to do for me? Mm. Um, I think, I think we need to have lots of avenues through which we reveal the truth of the principle and the exposition of the divine principle is just one and so we Mm. who are all commissioned to be tribal messiahs have to figure out what language is the language of my tribe and right what expression of the principle is going to appeal to them and be relevant to them
0: Mm. but then but that infers that like or implies that you are a wealth of knowledge of the divine principle or have a decent understanding enough to be able to, you know, decipher it, absorb it, and then be able to reapply it. Right. And I feel like most people just aren't at that level or are at that level of commitment where they know DP, just like the back of their hand.
1: I sound like I know what I'm talking about, uh, because I'm uh-huh. quite an intellectual person. Right. I, I perform quite well academically. Um, I'm interested in philosophy and language and all these kinds of sophisticated ideas. And so I I make it sound like I know what I'm talking about. But I am always moved by the simple faith of decent people who maybe don't have the vocabulary with which to explain the lifestyle they're living. But just by living Mm -hmm. that lifestyle, they embody the principle Mm. profoundly and, and so they, they move people's hearts. And I mm. recognize that I, I don't embody this truth, which, which <laughs> I like talking about. I'm trying to. And right, I'm right. using these articulations of the truth to help me. I, I read this stuff. Mm. I read the Hundoke with the intention that by reading it, it will challenge me and help me to grow. And hopefully I'll start embodying these great ideas. But sometimes I meet people who are just... They, they embody it so naturally, and mm. I, I'm, I'm secretly very jealous of them.
0: <laughs> and so well, you were talking about, you know, how the exposition of the divine principle leads, especially part two leads, um, leads to true father, like the Messiah being born in Korea and it being true father and yada yada yada, um, what, what's the real, real merit in that? Like, it feels so convenient to just say all roads lead to Korea.
1: Well let's let's remember that this book was written before the holy marriage of true parents in 1916. Mm-hmm. There was no true mother, there were no true parents. Right. And so in that respect I feel like the whole exposition of the divine principle needs an upgrade to kind of include this profound understanding of the Messiah not just being this male figure but of mm-hmm. actually being a couple. And there are hints at that in the divine principle where especially in the christology chapter it talks about how you need uh, a, a true man and a true woman who can give rebirth to humanity um and, and that's what true parents are uh right, but also right. i i find that the the exposition of the divine principle focuses too much on truth and not enough on love mm. Mm. i feel like you know these days people don't need uh, an, uh well i don't know maybe we do and you look at how how uh, polarized i mean justin you you were talking about how polarized the world is now in terms of politics and philosophy uh and, and perhaps there is a need for a, a universal truth which can bring harmony between these various perspectives but uh, ultimately i i don't think we're going to win that argument with rational mm-hmm. i well rational ideas will help but the
2: no, that's I see what you're saying. It's that, that love is really what would break the borders between those things. That if people had compassion and love for each other, it wouldn't. It doesn't matter what the other person believes. You can still love that person and care for them. And I think that's what's really been sucked out of our culture uh, worldwide. It's because the Internet, it, there's, there's no space for love. You, you can yell at this person and when, if it makes them cry, you, you don't see them. And you know, it's like you don't you don't have the the repercussions of hurting someone's feelings, and so knowing that you're hurting their feelings can actually be enjoyable over the internet. Where uh, when it happens in person, it just feels awful because our, our, we're programmed to not do that, and so when we see the 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 repercussions of what we're doing, hurting some innocent person, uh, it, it it's 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 very painful and uncomfortable. And so I feel like the internet has given us a space to do something that's very unhuman which is to be unempathetic and 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 this lack of connection and caring even though someone has different perspectives where, where really the 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 the, the way it's, it, it's become the way of being that people have embodied is you know every everyone who isn't the, isn't me and my beliefs is the enemy and we should we should remove them all if if you know if death is the is the is the way it goes then that's that's what it needs to come to i guess And so I feel like that's where, that's why it's so dramatic. And yeah, if love was Mm. that secret ingredient added back into everything. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right that um, it's that love that it's not really emphasized in the principle. Mm. And certainly what made it difficult for me growing up as a second gen was truth being constantly shoved down my throat with no love. And it's like, it's like uh, sex without lubricant. It's like all the all the all the components <laughs> are there but without the lubricant it just is so excruciatingly painful when it could
1: have been so pleasurable and so great. you need a lot more foreplay before you uh, perform the act of penetration yeah
0: mm. but yeah
1: where are we going with this is this going to be edited out <laughs> <laughs> oh. um i'm
0: just i i guess i'm just really really puzzled by the fact that like It's just the language in the divine principle, especially um, in part two in like the history of restoration. It just really makes it convenient or, you know, so simplified that like Korea is the place. True father is the one and stuff like that. And I I understand that it takes a bit of faith and, you know, um, to to put my eggs. I mean, to like, you know, believe that true father is the Messiah. But it's just like just reading this book, you know what I mean? And then trying to explain it to someone else. It just feels so, so. how, how, how cultish?
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and there's a lot to be said for that, certainly. um What what comforts me or, or liberates my perspective is an appreciation that every faith community is mm. its own cult, and so for me that's not a dirty word. I know for some right, people it right. is, and but for me it's not. You know, you, you have the cult of Apple, you have the the cult of um I can't think of any American the cult of Steve Jobs. Stuff. Steve Jobs or the cult of Manchester United, right? What whatever <laughs> the, the sports club that you passionately follow with right. religious devotion. Mm, uh, you've mm. got you've got the cult of of Bernie Sanders, you've got the cult of Jordan Peterson. <laughs> and and you know, these are personality cults, yes. Right, uh, right. And and in that sense there's there's a lot of um uh parallel. But okay, here we are as as this unique cult <laughs> uh, trying to do our thing. But what what I always come to is who who are we pointing to who 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 are true parents always pointing us to and i find that true father true mother father moon mother moon they are always pointing to jesus they're Mm. always pointing to our heavenly parent they're inviting us to develop a a personal relationship with god our creator following our conscience through them Mm. Mm. and i know that's the tricky part because the through right. them part there's a lot of cultural baggage um mm. I'll be honest with you even in the last 24 hours I I I I've gone through a little mini crisis of my faith whereby I am wrestling with something that I'm really not comfortable right. with and I'm seeing it as a growth opportunity but it's it's to do with the fact that you know uh, true parents have created a certain culture which in some ways is I believe not ideal or it's it's very difficult for people to enter into that culture and not feel used i, I to be more specific i do mm. feel that our unificationist culture appears somewhat extractive you you have this human you have these human resources and you try to get results out of them yeah. and you kind yep. of pressure them and emotionally blackmail them Ooh. in order to deliver those results uh that, and i know a lot childhood, of, man.
0: <laughs> I think that's all of us collectively. I I, I feel your pain, Matthew. That's, that's why I'm the you. only
1: one still here, here in my family. I'm, I'm I'm I you know I've I've been on the receiving end of that, and I'm guilty mm. of allowing myself to be on the receiving end of that, and I'm guilty of perpetuating it as well. And that's mm. the most heartbreaking thing, where I True. I actually do take the time to reflect on myself and think, oh my god, I have become the beast.
0: Ooh, ooh, that that must hurt. But yeah, I, I think yeah. you bring up a great point about the use and abuse nature of our church, and I think definitely that culture needs to change. And I think um, it has to in order for a second gen to to want to be here, to want to give back, and you know volunteer time in future events and whatnot, because I think we can't keep going on this first generation energy, this wave of of just you must do absolute faith this and that and there's just no leeway for us to build our own or create
2: our own avenues of faith and express them in our own way. I think I think one thing that I, I want to give mention to because it's something that I noticed I was this morning actually I was laying in bed staring at the ceiling and I had this I had this thought about um you know oh I you know like we're doing these events with True Mother where <clears throat> you know, there can't be a live audience in the background. They have these walls of screens showing all the Zoom participants. And I was thinking like, oh, you know, because I didn't sign up to be one of those Zoom participants, I'm not going to be immortalized in history of this moment.
1: But you're going to hell. (laughs) You're not getting into heaven because of that. God, I knew it. I knew it. I should have.
2: But I I realized, I was just thinking like, you know what? I really don't think any of those people are going to be immortalized in history because I don't think that that's what true mother is here to do? I don't think that true parents are here to make a big impact. And what I mean by that is, like, I don't think their impact is to be known. Um, I imagine time travelers. So let's say the twin towers in the United in uh, in, in New York, right? Let's say they're still standing today. Are it, if someone went back in time and stopped the events from ever happening that caused the twin towers to fall, then no one would be grateful for it. No one, the, that person who went back in time and stopped that event from happening isn't going to get a statue. They're not going to be immortalized. No one's going to know their name. They are a silent hero. You know. So I feel like True Parents are kind of that silent hero where they've come in and they've done a lot of stuff that no one will really ever know that they did. Like, I really, str- really believe that True Parents stopped communism from spreading all over the world. But Will anyone ever acknowledge that? No, because they're the time travelers. They're the silent v- heroes, the ones who save the world, but no one knows their name. Um, you know, I think that's something that's really unrealistic about video games. Because everyone always knows you're the hero. No, it's more like One Punch Man. No one knows you did it, and in fact, someone else <laughs> gets your credit for doing it. You know, so I, I feel like that's exactly where True Parents are, and I really don't think that our mission is to let everyone know the good news that True Parents is here rather just to teach the divine principles that they've uh, let us know about. The use of those internal truths, but to add that unnecessary lubrication of love in order to allow the people to, to, to really hear it. And I think that one way that we can really witness to the, the power of true parents is not so much through teaching people the doctrines, but by living and embodying them. Like you said, there's people who don't really, can't really articula, articulate their beliefs, but just are those beliefs in their daily lives. You know, Torres' father is one of those people. I, unfortunately, he can also articulate it pretty well. But I mean, uh, he, he <laughs> is just one of those people that was just for me, he is the reason why I'm still in this movement is because he was just that moment. He was just this person of he practiced everything he, pre- he preached um, and, and beyond. And it was just like he was my messiah in that way. You know and so it's like I, I don't think that we need an amazing magical man to be to be the Messiah. We just have to be like you said the tribal messiahs but we don't have to do that by teaching people and getting them to subscribe to the YouTube channel of the unification church. We just need them to to go you know that's true I'm gonna do that you know and so like uh, giving a, like a seminar or something like that where you teach people you don't necessarily need these people to, give credit to you, the seminar guy who, who you know, maybe if you want to make more money, you, you need to. <laughs> but if you really want to just teach people the values of these things, you don't need them to give credit to you, you, just need them to live by these things you've taught them.
0: For sure, for sure.
2: And so I feel like True Parents, yeah, are not going to be known. They're just going to be these silent heroes that as as they die, uh, the movement will just kind of move on. And I think once True, True Mother has died, I think the movement will really be and I don't think that true mother's bad. I just think that, like you said, it's really difficult to have a living leader. Um, I think once true mother dies, the church will really be better for it. I think if you look, if you look at the Mormons,
0: that's a that's
2: a hot topic. <laughs> I think if you look I'm, at the Mormons, I'm, you see a lot I'm of more their pessimistic success.
1: than you are. I think. Well, I know oh, there's uh, definitely well. going
2: to be a really difficult growth period, and mm-hmm. I'm really I really want to you know everyone needs to have their their uh, their. Their nuclear bomb plan for when true mother dies and the, and the church goes through the intense growing pains that it's going to have to go through uh, to survive if it even does um but i definitely think that if it does then we'll hopefully be more like the mormons and be more successful and just kind of build really really good tight communities that um kind of make the world a better place one little kind of act act of kindness at a time you know, so. hmm. Uh, and I, I could complete. I could be completely wrong in all of this, but it was just something I was thinking this morning, and I was just like, "Yeah, I really don't think true parents are going to become this historical figures. I don't think people are going to care about true parents, true father, true mother, and what they did in their actual lives. Um, and as as us as the core church members, you know, stop t- really caring ourselves as we die off, the ones who are really gung ho and hardcore about. True parents being the Messiah, then it'll just be kind of us left over who are embodying the lifestyle, but not so much really saying, you know, mm. true parents and Messiah anymore. Right. The museum of true fathers eaten lobsters will be sold off and
0: <laughs> <laughs> right.
2: Okay, thrown away in history.
0: Mm, I think we can get it. Hmm. Perhaps it'll be like that. Perhaps it won't. But I guess. But there's always this thing where we have to appreciate, right? What well, we've gone through and show, acknowledge the person that we've, uh, that God is here, especially in our movement, right? And gratitude and stuff like that. So I feel like, mm, in that sense, once everybody knows the principle, I feel like not, a, not I don't think true parents are going to be like the the forgotten here or anything.
1: I mean, I'll come back to what I said earlier. I, I'd, ra- I'd much rather people don't know the principle, but just live the principle. Mm. And, um, you know, I think, uh, uh, you know, as, as a collection of words and ideas and thoughts you know we we can put it into the hands of a lot of people but are they really going to put it into practice and changing the hearts of people is really hard because mm. ultimately it's something that we cannot do it's something that only the individual can do and and there has to be that that lubrication that justin <laughs> is, is is uh is referring to that you know act of love that moves moves people's hearts and inspires them to want to change to In many ways, I feel that the principle is incredibly simple in many ways. It's just, you know, like Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you'd like them to love you. And if we can embody those very simple principles, um, the world would be a really good place. But the problems are in that vertical and horizontal dimension, that we're, we're rubbish at both of them. And so we need, I think, religious life, religious discipline, to hmm. correct many of the mistakes and bad habits that we've accumulated. Let's not forget that we're probably in the best time in human history ever. It's never been this good. Mm-hmm. And I know even in our church, you know, at the rallies of hope, they'll play this video saying it's a time of conflict and fear and human <laughs> history has never been worse. No, it's never been this good, but it could be like better. All Right. Yeah.
0: Uh, so I have, I have a question from the audience that I, uh, so someone asked about DP. Uh, it's a more technical question pertaining to the fall. Um, why didn't the other two archangels prevent it or intervene at all?
1: Good question. How do we know they didn't?
2: Ooh. Damn. You may drop your mic, sir. <laughs> 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 uh, that's, yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think maybe it's because uh, Lucifer was their central figure. You know, it's hard, exactly. it's hard to know that he's doing the wrong thing if he's supposed to be telling you what to do. Um, there are many times uh, when I was working for someone and I felt like they were doing something very wrong, but because they were my boss, I was just like, well, let's see where this goes. Um, and then when it when the when it happened and the fallout happened and now we're paying the repercussions of it, it was just kind of like, well, I saw this. This was wrong, but uh, you're my boss. I didn't want to say anything. Uh,
1: so maybe is it that? I don't know. It's not a very inspiring answer. Well, I mean, that's that's a characteristic of authoritarian organisations, uh, whether that's political institutions or religious institutions, even which which have rigid authoritarian structures. Uh, we, we've never experienced that in our church, have we? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, uh, the archangel is by definition archangelic. And so it creates an archangelic structure, which is not wrong. It's just not a human structure. And so you've got this archangelic structure, perhaps, where, where what you're saying is probably true, that you've got these other archangels who, who are simply obeying orders. And that's how concentration camps happen. Uh, where, where decent, mm. good people uh, are led along to do incredibly terrible things, uh, and it, I, ultimately, when, in my reading of the biblical story, oh, the responsibility doesn't lie with anyone else. You can blame Lucifer, you can blame Michael and Gabriel, and whoever else you want to blame. You can even blame God, which is what Adam and Eve mm-hmm, did in mm-hmm. the biblical story. That's what Adam said when when God when when God asked him, you know, what happened. God said, uh, Adam said, it was you who put the woman here. It was it was you. And the same Mm. thing that Eve said to God, it was you who put the serpent here. So Lucifer's just rubbing his hands together saying, yeah, it's all my responsibility. I'm in (laughs) charge now. But Adam and Eve failed to take responsibility. Mm. So I I think, um, of course, you know, I think something that the Me Too movement has, you know, shone a light on is the reality that you can't victim blame. Mm -hmm. You can't Mm -hmm. can't blame the victim of of, uh, uh, sexual assault on, 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 you know, what they were doing uh the the perpetrator of the criminal act was responsible for what they were doing they abused their authority they abused their position Uh, and so for me all these all these illustrations in contemporary uh stories uh of of genuine uh power abuse are direct parallels to the power abuse that took place in the garden of eden where where a young girl was taken advantage of by an uh, an authority figure who is in a position to protect, serve and educate. He mm. Lucifer took advantage of that. Absolutely. But Adam as the he should have been the hero of this story. What was he doing? Mm. Did he intervene? No he didn't. Did he rescue her? No he didn't.
0: Mm. Yeah. Mm. Pretty heavy. So there's the responsibility, the failure responsibility of Adam and also he is mainly or just personal responsibility is like the missing sauce.
1: I think so. I mean even after being violated by Lucifer, Eve had an opportunity to repent. Mm-hmm. You know, she could have gone to God. She could have gone to Adam and rather than seducing Adam, she mm-hmm. you know as a rebound guy, she could have gone to him <laughs> and say, Adam, this 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 jerk has has treated me really badly. Can you help me fix mm-hmm. this? And that conversation would have been entirely different. God Mm. walking through the garden in the cool of the evening would have had a very different conversation with Adam and Eve had that conversation taken place.
0: Mm. Well, I hope our...
2: I think Mm. these are things to learn that are not just, oh, that's what needed (laughs) to happen a thousand years ago, but this is what needs to happen today. When Mm -hmm. these kind of things happen today,
1: this is what's going to happen. You know, we've we've got to do these things kind of now. Right. I think there's a danger in reading these mythological stories because that's what they are mm-hmm. as, as, as as something that happened just yesterday. Um, I, I'm, I'm open-minded about whether or not there's an actual Adam and an actual Eve who abided in an actual Garden of Eden. Uh, I'm open-minded. It could go either way. Maybe there was, maybe there right. wasn't. Uh, but that doesn't matter, honestly, to me. Whether there was or whether there wasn't, this story has profound truth in it which which, as Justin just said, is relevant and applicable to our circumstances today. So how we read the story into our uh, contemporary circumstances is is our responsibility and, and mm. how we respond to it too.
0: Well, on that note, I think that's all the time we have for now. Remember guys, take personal responsibility for all your actions. <laughs> and um, thank you, Matthew Hughes, for uh, being on the show with us today. My if pleasure. People want to find you, they can follow, obviously, the Orange Songbook, and they can hear more of your voice. But um, do you have, like, Instagram or anything that you want to shout out? Or? Uh,
1: you know, I'm terrible. I do have an Instagram account, but I have wow. never use it. Um, I, I am stalkable on Facebook. I, I, I think I am one of mm-hmm. those, uh, what do you call it, lurkers. I don't post much, <laughs> but I do like having a read of what other people post. And I'll be half tempted For to sure. write a, a, a witty comment or, or mm. failing that, a sarcastic gif usually i just end up bottling out of uh, both of those and just and just 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 crawl Keep back it to yourself. Into, into the cave from which I, I came
0: well well it's been a very uh, it's been a pleasure really uh speaking with you and hope you come on the show again uh how,
2: how can people find the orange songbook
1: theorangesongbook.com oh wow damn and um how did it get its name again so we were really struggling to find a name for this podcast and uh, something that all european members know about is a collection of holy songs which has an orange cover which has unofficially colloquially been referred to as the orange songbook one of these orange (laughs) Songbooks was lying on the coffee table in the sitting room of toby's house and so when we were brainstorming ideas the orange songbook was there Mm,
0: wow very clever all right, Justin, show us out. Hey,
1: everybody.
2: Thank you so much for listening. If indeed you still are. And... Uh, uh, choo-choo.
0: Choo-choo. Thank you so much for listening and all your support. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to fill out our feedback survey and tell us what you like and don't like. Wonderful to have you on the show, Matthew. Would love to have more discussions again in the future with you. And thanks for your time. If you guys like what you've heard, don't forget to interact with us on our Discord or our Instagram. Feel free to leave comments, criticisms, or just drop in and say hello. Also, let us know if you want to hear a person in particular on the show. We gladly welcome any suggestions and inputs by our audience, so don't be shy. If you want to contact us, um, contact us via email through lunastreampodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, Luna Stream is available on all the major platforms. You will find podcasts like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM, Google Podcasts, and much more. So don't forget to tune into the newest episodes. So give us a follow, share it with your friends, and we hope to see you next episode. ju!